Hi, I'm Sam Breakgear and welcome to Brains Bite Back. This is the podcast for fans of technology, psychology, and how the two impact our society. Trying to prove who we are online, or even trying to prove that we are human, can be a laborious task. Every day we give our information and credentials to a large number of people, organizations, and businesses, often using various forms of ID. However, we could soon be living in a world where all this information and these processes can be streamlined using modern technology. To discuss how our digital identity could soon become safer and simplified, we spoke with Jamie Smith, Strategic Engagement Director at Ebonim, a company that is developing trusted peer-to-peer interactions on a global scale. In this episode, we discuss how Ebonim works, what kind of scenarios we can use it in, and how far this digital identity could go. You'll also learn how this will impact individual privacy, how it can help prevent identity theft, and how this information would help if we were to face another COVID-19 style outbreak. Disclosure, this episode includes a client of an Espacio portfolio company. This episode is brought to you by Publicize, a digital PR company that grows businesses' online presence. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. Jamie, would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself and how Ever Evanim works and what your position is at the company? Sure. Great to be here. And thanks for thanks for inviting me. I think the best place to start is talking about uh, what's wrong with the digital economy today. So um, when we're we're going about, our, you know, the Internet or the Web to, to buy things online or to register for new services, we end up uh, having to repeat lots of identity processes over and over again. And on one hand, that's frustrating uh, for, for the customer, but also it's just hugely inefficient for organizations. Um, there's no real kind of standard way of doing it. And things are really broken when you have to click on pictures of bridges and traffic lights to, to prove that you're a real human being. And Evanim set out to fix some of those basic challenges, frankly, in, in our digital experiences, but also to take some of the power that we have with paper. You know, when you're given a bit of paper today, uh, that might be a certificate or a utility bill or a qualification or a license, um, or even a, a warranty for something you've bought. You're given that bit of paper, you look after it, uh, and when you use it to register for service or to claim that warranty or to, you know, when you're moving home, all, all those bits of paper, the organization that gave it to you don't know that you're using it. So paper is kind of private by design, but it has all the, the, the challenges of paper and that it can, uh, it can be lost, it can be copied and, and used without your, without your um, consent. So Evanim set out to really bring the power of paper into the digital domain and give uh, customers and citizens and consumers powerful ways to present information about who they are uh, with very high levels of security, great customer experience in a much more effective way. So um, to give you an example, right now um, there are lots of digital credentials you are given, but typically they're only useful in that one place. So I'm given a credential to log into my bank and that's the only place I can use it. Or I'm given a digital credential that I'm an employee of that company and I can only use it at that one place. But with the tools that Evanim has built and we'll talk a bit about what's underneath them and, and why they're really truly portable, 
individuals uh, have the ability to use them in all sorts of other contexts, uh, make them portable, share them uh, under the individual's control. Uh, and uh, M&M provides tools for organizations to issue credentials to individuals uh, and then also to accept those credentials from individuals. And then finally, we provide tools to, to individuals for them to, to hold those credentials, to receive them, if you like. And it's all kind of powered by new uh, technology and standards based around the idea of verifiable credentials and decentralized identifiers. And we invented uh, lots of the tech that resides inside those tools. So at its simplest, that's, that's what we do. We provide tools for organizations and people so they can share data about themselves in a very secure but incredibly portable uh, and private way. I have to say, if you're working towards getting rid of those annoying uh, prove that you're human tests, then I am so on board for Evanim because those are a real pain in the side. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but once you can share information about yourself, and frankly, you could share anything uh, about yourself to anyone, privately and securely, then we can do all sorts of clever things like, well, we can now get rid of usernames and passwords because when you turn up to the website, they can challenge you to say, do you have the credential we gave you last time to make sure you can just come straight in? And you can say yes. And with one tap, you scan a QR code on, on let's say on the website, your phone goes ping, you say, yes, I'm trying to log in and then you're let in. Uh, and that could work online, but it could also work in a call center. You call the call center. Uh, or the contact centre, and normally they'd spend one to two minutes asking you about your mother's maiden name, date of birth, your cat's favourite colour. And uh, with this, the, the call contact centre agent could press a button on their screen, your phone goes ping, saying, are you trying to, are, are you on the phone to the call centre right now? Uh, you say one tap, yes, and then you're straight in. So it reduces, you know, that one or two minute experience to about five seconds, and it's completely portable. So this really has the, the power to transform customer experiences, but also make things much more secure and um, improve things for the organization. Awesome. And I think this sounds like a really cool concept. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to get you on to talk about it is because in my mind, it seems like such a difficult concept to imagine, I suppose, like how it would work the nuts and bolts of it. And when you mentioned there about the call center analogy, the first thing that comes to mind is like, Google Authenticator or like a two-factor kind of verification mm. app. So I kind of think of it like that. And as I'm speaking with you now, I'm kind of slowly piecing bits and bits together for how it would work. But like from a conceptual like basis, is it something that that's like, would it exist on your phone as like an app or would it, you do have some sort of like, um, like a special, like unique device, which is only um like a watch just for evanim or like how would this work in a day-to-day -day life like how would you physically go about using this like uh with some more examples if you're able to provide them it's a, a really great question i think the picture you're going to have in your mind is that this is about creating peer-to-peer -peer connections so with uh, other let's call them authenticator services or other identity providers you know login with x or the ability to say, um, when you're trying to log in or register, it says, please prove who you are by providing uh, information from another source. With this, you're actually creating a peer-to-peer -peer connection. So I really am just connected just to the bank, but I'm also just connected to the hospital. I'm just connected to uh, my employer and I'm just connected to perhaps the, the school or university I went to. And each of those relationships is, is unique and, um, and different. And so from an experience point of view, the credentials that you hold, that you then share over those kind of peer-to-peer -peer relationships, they exist at the edge, we call it, so on, on the device. So most likely, yes, there'll be an app that 
allows you to respond to a request when it comes in, but also for you to uh, accept and, and kind of hold and look after those credentials. So there'll be an app on your phone and that app is going to feel a bit like an address book, frankly. Here, here are all the organizations you're and people you're connected to. Here's the credentials you've had from those entities, those organizations. And then when a request comes in saying, please, can you share your date of birth or please, can you prove that you really are a customer of, of, of X, then that's going to show up in that app. It'll probably just wake up the phone as a, as a notification saying, oh, this organization wants you to share some information. You might tap on that and it would say, well, it's this organization and we really know it is that organization. There's no one fishing you. Uh, and we, we can talk about the, the kind of technical weeds of how that's possible uh, later. But essentially, um, you would be able to respond to that notification and say, yes, I approve. So there's active consent for the data sharing to happen. So you've got a lovely record on your device that tells you who's asked you for what, when, where it came from, and also what you've shared. So that's going to be the experience. But to most people, it's going to feel a bit like an address book where you are, uh, you've got a list of all your contacts. But each of those contacts has got a unique and private and end-to-end -end encrypted secure channel. So it's like having a, in, in kind of technical speak, it's like having a VPN, you know, a virtual private network to, to uh, between you and every one of those entities. Awesome. This is, yeah, this is starting to make more sense to me and I can understand it a bit more. Obviously, I'm trying to make sense of this from, from other concepts that I already know and have in my mind. And another thing which it kind of like reminds me of, or which I'm trying to relate it to in my mind to kind of better understand it is those uh, services where like you have like one master password. So you have one password and it just, it covers everything, but it sounds like you're taking it to the next level. Like this is a whole nother step up. And I can imagine with the security that you're working on, probably somewhat safer, I would assume. But I would, um, before we get into the security, because I would love to, to get into that, I'd love to understand a little bit more about how this encapsulates a person's identity. Like how far would this go? For example, is it just like the essential stuff like your passport, driver's license, bank details? Or would this go further and like encompass like political memberships, cinema memberships, gym memberships, this sort of thing? Like how far does uh, this reach go? Very, very good question. I think we take a very broad view in, in the sense that we almost you know, don't want to talk about identity and actually talk about credentials. So, you know, you go around your daily life proving things about yourself. And so that might be, you know, what we might be kind of um, what I might call kind of flat identity information. So the bits of paper and, and plastic you're given, passport, driving license, and that might contain date of birth or address or or uh, national ID information. But also a credential uh, could be th those online credentials we talked about, usernames and passwords, login information, uh, account access, that kind of thing. But if you go right to the other end of the spectrum, it could be entitlements like movie tickets, train passes, VIP passes, anything like that. But then Think of all the bits of paper that you've been given by an organization, maybe as a, as a PDF over email or as a, as a you know, face to face, maybe as a receipt. All of that is information that you might present to prove something, prove that you own something, prove that you're entitled to something or you can access something. All of those we would consider verifiable credentials. So the, the idea that we can make them digital, make them completely portable and make them very highly uh, secure so that not only can you use them face-to-face, -face, but you can present them at a distance. And why that's interesting, and we'll, we'll touch on maybe coronavirus and the, and the global health emergency later, but in, in a world in which things are gonna have to move into digital and be able to trust people at a distance, this is exactly the new type of infrastructure that's going to make that possible. 
Um, so, you know, we, we see a very long tail of bits of data or, or, or bits of information that you might want to share. And that could be the high level of assurance stuff like your passport or a boarding pass, right down to less critical but still important things like you know warranties for um, washing machines or your car mileage or uh, a, a ticket to a concert. Okay, yeah, I'm starting to to get this more. I have this image in my head of people going into clubs or trying to get entrance into clubs, and they're just holding up like their phone and it's got some like digital id would that be the case would it be a case of like you enter you go to enter a club and you just hold it up on your screen that you have your id or how would that work would they just scan the qr code and then it would uh say oh this person can enter like how how would it work in that sense so i'll go into a tiny bit of detail just to give you a sense of the what's going on under the surface but at a very high level um one of two things would happen either you you scan a qr code and that's a static QR code that's a challenge to say, can you come in? Are you over 21? Uh, do you have a pass for tonight? That kind of thing. And your phone, that, that application would probably display something that says, I've received that QR code. I've interpreted it to say, yes, I have a ticket for tonight. Or yes, I'm over 21. And the screen might show a picture of your face or a tick. And then maybe something unique to that uh, context. So it can't be prepared in advance. Um, so... Uh, that's the kind of, if you like, uh, almost like an offline, uh, a very simple way, which is uh, a reasonable level of assurance. It's hard to fake, mm -hmm. but uh, it's still, if you like, a kind of offline level of proving. Uh, if you do an online level of proving in that same face-to-face -face context, so let's say you're scanning a, a QR code on a tablet app or on a bouncer's uh, you know, a phone, then actually at a technical level, you're actually sharing the data peer-to-peer -peer, and then the relying party, in, in identity speak, the, the, the verifier, we sometimes call them, that individual, that, that organization is receiving your credentials cryptographically and they can check the signatures. So they can check this really is coming from the digital wallet, the app that we think it is, but it's also the credential that's being given to me really has come from the source they say it has. So it really is come from a driving license we trust or it's come from uh, the ticket that we issued before. So one of those two things will happen. Either you'll scan a kind of static QR code on a poster or something and you'll be able to display your phone, which would change, uh, display some some information that a bouncer could check. Or okay. if you want high level of assurance, you could actually create that peer-to-peer -peer connection with the bouncer, if you like, with the club. Uh, and that club is really cryptographically checking the signatures of the credentials that you're sharing. So that's what makes it really powerful that peer-to-peer, -peer, you can share the information that you have on your phone. And you can do that with full consent uh, and you can make sure you're connecting to only the organizations you want to connect to. Nice. That does sound pretty cool. It sounds like something you'd uh, expect to see in a sci-fi film. I like that element to it. That's interesting. Um, but I'd really love to talk about privacy because that's one of the main things which is at the forefront of my mind when I think about all this information in such a centralized location. So I'd really be interested to know like how this will impact individuals' privacy, uh, specifically because I like I'd have two main concerns. One the fact that this could fall into the wrong hands of like hackers so you could have your identity stolen i can imagine that uh, certainly as it stands having your identity stolen would, would it would suck no, no doubt but at the same time if they had access to everything if they had such an omniscient kind of view of like all your data then it would be very difficult to get that back and kind of control that once again and then my other concern is on the other side if like a tyrannical government 
was to take over or or gain control and then use this as a form of surveillance and uh, I suppose help to further a big brother state. I know that might sound extreme, but at the same time, I'd be interested to know, like, what are your concerns around this? And why should we not be afraid, in your opinion, of this happening with Ebenham? So let me let me unpack some of that. I think you're raising some really important questions that we get all the time. And, you know, once you enter the world of, of uh, information about me and personal data, then you start to wander very quickly into data protection regulations, um, consent, concerns about surveillance, and who, who can access what. So but back to that mental model of a peer-to-peer connection. If you think about today, for me to have all my data uh, useful in all these places uh, shared by me, then typically the kind of architecture of that, you know, the, the way it would be designed would be to have a centralized service. So all the data that's about me is put in a central place. And all the data about those other people is put in that same central place and I'm allowed access to it or I might uh, allow others privileged access to it with my consent. That's the way things things work today. And so, of course, if you can break the walls or break into that centralized place, you have access to everyone and everything. Uh, that is that is the model we are we're, we're breaking down here. Instead, the data doesn't reside in that single central place that I give access to, even if it's with consent or permission. I'm actually holding the data on my device at the edge myself. Instead of saying, yes, you can come and have access to it, I'm doing the opposite. I'm saying, here you go. You can have this information. I'm going to send it to you. So the model is very, very different. Let me pick out a couple of things in terms of privacy and and, and, and a little bit about security. Mm-hmm. First of all, in that first model where it's centralized, uh, with that centralized database, once you're inside, you have the keys to the kingdom. And you can gather all that data and then publish it on the dark web or, or use it for, for other purposes you know, maliciously. In this uh, new world of verifiable credentials that are stored on the device at the edge, the attack surface, if you like, is much, much, much smaller. So if I want to get into Samuel's data, I have to go and get Samuel's phone, open the phone, open the app, and then get in to the device and to, to that digital wallet. So not only are, are the probability of that happening, it's just the, if you're a hacker, the attractiveness, the effort you've got to spend to do that on a one-to-one basis is much higher. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, that, and this is really important, I'm going to come back to the privacy point in a second, but uh, and your, your, your point about surveillance and so on. But right now, if you think about identity information or these, the, 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 these credentials, we consider them in kind of only one dimension. So we think about, you know, once I have your date of birth, I can replay that date of birth in another context and pretend to be you. If I have your mother's maiden name, if I have your address, if I have enough information, which by the way, is relatively publicly available already, then I can replay that information in certain contexts and pretend to be you. That's because we can we, we can perceive identity or credentials as one dimension. Like it's just the data. If I have the data, I can pretend to be you. In this other this new world that we're talking about of, of digital wallets and verifiable credentials, the data isn't just one dimensional. It's not just the information. When you're sharing it, you're sharing it peer to peer. So unless you can share it with an entity that is coming from that digital wallet and only that digital wallet, it won't be perceived as accurate or trustworthy, number one. But also you can add other layers of protection on the device. So I've got to be with the device to do a selfie or a a thumbprint or something that says, you can't share this data or you can't uh, create that peer-to-peer connection unless the individual is present. So you're layering on additional protections to not only do you have to have my device, but I have to be present. And 
um, it has to be shared over that peer-to-peer -peer private connection. Otherwise, it won't be a trustworthy source of data. So um, from a security or kind of risk perspective, it is much lower risk, much higher levels of security and, and trustworthiness. From a privacy perspective, then, we're getting the same, uh, the same layers uh, of access. So um, think about the different types of privacy concern. One is, well, who's got my information? Well, in this model, I know that my data is being shared with my uh, active consent with all the data that's going over that peer-to-peer -peer connection. There's nothing going on behind my back. No one's accessing that big database without me. It's me as an active participant rather than kind of a, a passive observer. So that's the, the first type of privacy, who knows what. And by the way, I'll, I'll reiterate the point I made earlier. I have a lovely record, an auditable record of everything that's been asked of me and everything I've shared. Second of all, and this is, this is a, a really kind of nuanced point, but if you think about over collection, so they have so much information about me when they don't really need it. You know, when you share your driving license to get into a, a bar or a club, you're not just proving you're over 21, you're also sharing your right to drive and maybe your eye color and possibly your address and other things. And in some places they're taking copies of that, um, that data and it's, it's a mess. Whereas in this world, you are able to do um, all sorts of, you know, essentially clever operations with the data that are trustworthy. For technical folk, you might want to call them zero knowledge proofs. But that means I could give you a yes or a no. So if the bouncer says, are you over 21? I can share a yes or a no rather than having to give my age or actually my date of birth. So from a privacy perspective, I'm sharing way less data. So not only is it way more secure, but I can share a minimum amount of information. In Europe, that's really helpful for things like the general data protection regulation, where we want to have principles of data minimization. Uh, and then lastly, uh, there's, a, there's a hidden type of privacy, which we don't talk about very much, and that's about correlation. I don't know anything about this individual, except that they went to the, the doctor's office, then they went to a pharmacy, and then they went to the HIV clinic. But I don't know anything about them. And by correlating an individual across contexts, we can infer a lot. And candidly, that is the, the, uh, the advertising model today online is driven, you know, in part by what you know about an individual. But it's mostly about the fact that this person shops here, also shops there. So correlation is a really critical aspect of this. And with these new digital wallets, I described the idea of an address book. You know, here's all the, the organizations I'm connected with. Well, guess what? Each of those connections is unique and private and end-to-end -end encrypted, but they also have a different, unique identifier. So it's a bit like me giving my high school one phone number, my employer a different phone number, my bank a different phone number, and the hospital a different phone number. And there's lots of benefits to that. So if, if the bank calls over that with that special phone number, I know it's them. It can't be anyone else because they're the only person I gave that number to. And if I call in, they know it's me. It can't be anyone else. So that's really, really helpful and secure. But from a privacy perspective, the bank can't go to the hospital or my employer and say, hey, do you know ABC123 and who that is? Because to them, they think it's 789XYZ. They have no idea who it is. So every one of those connections or those identifiers is unique and private to that relationship. So there's different layers of privacy different layers of security, but it's not just about um, who knows what, uh, but I'm an active participant, number one. Number two, I can do data minimization. And number three, I can prevent correlation. So we think this is a real step change in, in both privacy and security. It sounds like it, to be fair. And now that you've broken it down, there are things here which I had never even considered, which makes absolute sense. 
And I think that this now obviously seems very much necessary. Like how, how, how hard do you think it will be to implement? Like how difficult will it be to make the change from the current state that we're in versus like the new world, which you keep talking about or the one which like um, we're hoping to progress to with um, this technology from Evanim? Like how difficult will that be? Because clearly like a change would be very beneficial. Um, what's interesting about that question is the fact that we are, we're in that transition now. You know, Evanim's been at this for, uh, four or five years with you know developing tools, building standards, uh, you know growing a global community, uh, working on policy, uh, and and the kind of protocols and the technology of, of how it kind of pieces together with existing tech. Uh, we're in that transition now, and over the last five years, it's been it's been happening gradually, and then you know with there's going kind to of bittersweet experience in that COVID is is causing so much heartache and so much global upheaval. But the, the flip side is that never more have we needed private, secure uh, ability to share data about ourselves and trust at a distance. And so there is definitely a, an acceleration happening as we as we work remotely, as we buy remotely, as we need to trust each other online. But underneath your question was, you know, how does the transition happen? And there's a really important thing to call out here. This isn't about ripping out and replacing existing tech. It's actually a kind of really neat layer that you can add on to existing solutions. So think about the, the login example. We don't need to, to get rid of usernames and passwords right now, but you could have a button that's next to it saying, well, do you, you know, you can fill out username and password, or you can scan this QR code, press a button, pops up a QR code, and you can scan the QR code with your digital wallet. So it's an and, not an or. Now that experience is going to be far better, far cleaner but you're not excluding anyone from using a username and password because they don't have a smartphone or they lost it or its batteries died or whatever. So, um, it, you know, we, we can manage the transition and we believe strongly that those new processes and approaches are going to over time replace them. Just like online banking appeared, it didn't kill the branch overnight. But over time, people prefer to do online banking you know, a lot of the customer interactions, transactions, the new customer onboarding gradually moved online, but there's still branch for when you have unhappy path, when you need to go and speak to a person and when you need to pop in to do something face to face because you need human contact. Those things will still exist. It's just, we, you know, the, the new option is going to radically improve. So that's part one. And part, part two is, you know, back to what does Evanim do? Well, it provides tools to organizations and everything from a startup right through to an enterprise, but to, to, for organizations to issue credentials and receive credentials. And essentially those tools sit next to a CRM system or sit next to your identity systems uh, or your, your, your warranty issuing processes so that you can overlay this new clever technology. So it's a relatively seamless upgrade, if you like, and that you can offer it to your customers uh, whilst not killing off old systems. So it's it's almost embracing and extending existing solutions rather than ripping out and replacing them. Okay, I get that. And I don't know how you feel about cryptocurrencies. So I don't want to go too strongly down that route. But like I said, when I relate whatever Nim's doing uh, with current ideas that I have in mind or current systems in place, it kind of reminds me a little bit of how like Bitcoin isn't necessarily replacing money, but it's just another digital option which is now springing up more and more and you can choose to pay with that versus um other fiat currencies but again like i don't want to get too much into the technical side of that because we might depending on how you feel about it we might be here for a while 
But I'd love to go back to the COVID-19, which you mentioned, uh, and which we kind of touched upon a few times here. And I think that you're absolutely right in the sense that COVID-19 has been a huge shift in mentality. And especially, I think, more than anything when it comes to work and working remotely. And we've seen that uh, every job that can possibly be done digitally and remotely seems to now be done so from the comfort of our homes as a result of this COVID-19 outbreak. So definitely, I'm sure that it could help push or elevate the open-mindedness towards more digital solutions, like the ones that um, Evanim's working on. But in relation to COVID-19, how do you think this information could help if we were faced with another similar kind of COVID-19 style outbreak? So it's, I mean, if you're being grand about it, you could say this is a, you know, a, a, a solution or an approach whose time has come. You know, we've, we've been talking about it for five years and, you know, we're, we're chatting to airlines about contactless travel. We're chatting to banks about uh, remote customer onboarding in less than a minute. You know, we're talking to governments who want to empower citizens to use their data and to, you know, power a digital economy. But today, either you have to have a, a lockdown private, you know, single vendor solution um, that, that works only in, in certain circumstances or use cases, or you have to have, you know, make sacrifices about security or, or customer experience. And so from a COVID point of view, this is a new layer of digital confidence that's going to appear. And, and to my point earlier, it's almost like appear as a layer on top of existing business. It's going to improve and transform experiences, but it doesn't have to completely pull apart the, the old ways. I think it's going to enable digital transactions to happen in a way that wasn't possible before. Um, yes, we, we could do online banking, but there's still levels of fraud. Maybe I've still got a new dongle or a widget that I've got to use to, to log in. We're going to make those experiences much more frictionless. So in terms of reigniting the economy and, and moving um, solutions and experiences online, um, I think this new way of, of, of using verifiable credentials and connections um, is going to be kind of an underpinning, we believe will be a new underpinning capability that uh, will be uh, a requirement, not just a, a nice to have. And let me let me say one more thing about COVID and maybe I'll talk about the, the kind of health credentials and health data in a minute. But these solutions can't be proprietary. These solutions cannot be uh, about one single vendor. This can't be an Evernim answer. And you've got to use Evernim's tech and Evernim solutions. One of the, the things that we were, you know, the design principles, the principles that we founded the company on are of openness and interoperability. So we believe that the, for this, this approach, these solutions to scale, you need to be able to take all your data, all your credentials, all those relationships and make them completely portable across vendors. And that's quite a tra transforming way to think about uh, digital ecosystems. Because right now, if you're a startup or, or a large digital organization, by definition, you want lock into your platform. And it's very hard to port the data out. Uh, even if you can make the data portable, all the rich insights don't go with you. Whereas we take the opposite view that by definition, if you if you enable portability, you don't just foster trust and good uh, digital health of an ecosystem, but you also create new uh, economic opportunities. So when it comes to COVID and when we start to touch on really sensitive data types, potentially, especially if we're, if we're, if we're um, enabling individuals to access health facilities or to do things in their life because they can um, prove that they're a key worker, for example. It's really, really important that there isn't vendor lock-in. And it means we can, you know, even if, if just think about it from a, 
from an enterprise perspective or a government, you know, if you're buying in this solution, it's much easier to kind of embrace it if you know that there's no lock-in and this is an open ecosystem rather than saying, well, we know we, we want the solution, but we're going to have to lock into a contract for 10 years. And, you know, what if it goes wrong in five? So from, from that perspective, open standards, interoperability are at the heart of everything Evanim does. And to add to that is the idea of open source. So um, not only is the, the solution and the data portable, but also it's based on kind of community standards and open source tools, which means that, you know, that there's a whole set of experts and, and community peers uh, looking through the code, making sure it's secure, making sure it's private. Um, there's nothing weird going on, but also building a real community of developers who can improve and extend that same uh, that same code. So, you know, open source, open standards, open governance uh, is the only way we think this will scale. I think you're you're absolutely right. And to be honest, I'm looking forward to seeing how this will develop because before this call, I didn't really have like a concept of like how it could work. And uh, now I, I feel far more comfortable and far more knowledgeable about it. And I got to say, I'm, I'm pretty excited. And uh, to be honest, you had me um, scrapping those uh, prove your human tests. Like, so immediately I was like sold, but like all the other things that follow, obviously far more valuable, but it's nice to know that um, it all comes like encompassed in like this one package that hopefully we can start using soon or at least move towards in the future because I think that's uh, it's going to be an exciting future. Couldn't agree more. It's it's what we're we're super excited about the next couple of years. We think it's going to uh, hit wide widespread use cases really really quickly uh, as as organizations respond to needing digital capabilities, but also working with privacy and and trust so that their solutions can really adapt to this new this this weird new normal we have where we, <laughs> we need to we need to trust at a distance but we also need to keep our businesses going um, yeah and, and we think we can get that really high level security but also great customer experience at the same time absolutely bring it on awesome jamie thank you so much for today if people want to learn more about evanim how can they do that is there any like are you active on social media is the website you want to point them to yeah so the best place to go to is www evernim that's e-v-e-r-n-y-m.com uh, and we're on uh, all the usual uh, social media platforms um the one probably best to look to is twitter which is at at evernim and you can find me at at jamie d smith on twitter fantastic thank you so much jamie no problem thanks ever so much for having me once again thank you to our sponsor publicize visit their website if you want to find out more about their pr for growth packages their free resources or even schedule a call. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bite Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like that, then you can follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, basically anywhere you get your podcasts you will find us there. You can also go to sociable.co to find all our episodes and you'll also find a large amount of articles similar to this topic and many others that we explore here at The Sociable and on Brains Bite Back. And we'd love to hear what you think about this episode so you can tweet at us at, at The Sociable. We're friendly people, honestly, come say hi. Thanks again for joining and until next time, take care.